Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are 11 days away from Obi-Wan Kenobi going live on Disney+. Plus. And today we're going to do a primer episode. We're going to be talking about everything you need to know about Clone Wars and from other media to get ready for the show. We're going to talk about why we're excited about it, what Clone Wars told us about the character of Kenobi, and what we might see in this new show. All that and more, along with a special guest, right after commercial break, we have no control over Welcome back. This is Matthew. They, them pronouns. Um, I'm really excited today because we're talking about Kenobi. We're talking about the Clone Wars. And so, as always, when talking about the Clone Wars, I have Riki and Sarah Hayashi on with us. Uh, Riki, Sarah, introduce yourselves. How are you doing? Hey, I'm Sarah. She, her. I'm doing good. Excited to talk about Kenobi. And I am Riki. He, him. I am even more excited to talk about <laughs> Kenobi. Accurate. Well, I'm so glad to have you two here because this is kind of a special moment for us. Uh, I have a special guest with us as well. Um, about a year and a half ago, I got involved in TikTok. A, because it was just fun and it was a pandemic and I was bored. But I kept telling myself, no, this is for the good of the podcast. I'll use this to promote <laughs> the podcast. And I might even get a guest out of it. Well, today, the first time, uh, another amazing Star Wars creator. That makes it sound like I'm an amazing Star Wars creator. Someone who I have been very impressed by. She makes great content. And eventually, I just said, you know what? Screw it. Let's give this a shot. I messaged her after a really great content she had. I said, I'd love for you to come on our podcast to discuss it. Uh, she's a grad student, so I guess she's trying to do anything she can not to study. So she said yes. I'm really happy to introduce Danielle, who you can find on TikTok, at Written in the Star Wars. Uh, Danielle, say hello. So good to have you here. Hi, I'm Danielle. She, her. And I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, First, just tell us a little bit about more uh, your journey with Star Wars, kind of like where you come from as a Star Wars fan and how you decided to turn that into uh, the, the, the TikToks you put out all the time. Yeah, I've been a Star Wars fan my entire life. It's one of those things where my dad introduced me when I was very young, and so I don't really have a first memory of Star Wars. It's just always mm -hmm. kind of been there. Uh, and then, you know, a few a few years ago is when I really started to get kind of uh, accepting of my a passionate, my passionate feelings for Star Wars. And mm -hmm. uh, then a few months ago or last year was when I got into TikTok on there to start talking about it more so that I stopped avoid, uh, stopped annoying my boyfriend <laughs> with uh, my enlist conversations about it uh, <laughs> and then just forced it on the internet instead. <laughs> the, the number of people who have come on these podcasts because they found that either their partners or their friends were just getting a little tired of what they had to say and so they needed an outlet – uh, Riki and Sarah, you two, the healthier relationship to come on here together. I'm just deeply <laughs> impressed by. And Danielle, it's one other question for you. So with the the, the TikToks, obviously, um, you're a fan of the movies, I can tell, but it seems like the Clone Wars is something you have a real love for. And that's part of why I was excited to get you on today, because we're going to talk about Kenobi across all media, but especially in the TV show, The Clone Wars, which really does so much to develop Kenobi's character. Tell us a bit about your own journey with The Clone Wars and why that became a thing that you were so passionate about. Yeah, so I didn't uh, really start watching The Clone Wars until a couple years ago. I, I don't know why I, it never really was on my radar as a kid, but I did always have questions about what happened in the prequels. And, you know, the question of oh, how did they get from Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the <laughs> Sith, which is the ultimate question that everyone always mm -hmm. had, I feel, before The Clone Wars came along, because there's such a big gap in what happens there, in Anakin's character at least. 
And, um, and so when I started watching, I was like, wow, all of my questions are being answered right now with this show. And I just became something I became really, really fond of and put all of my hyperfixation and obsession onto the characters in there and just really love it. I feel like the character exploration in the Clone Wars is phenomenal for the already established characters that we love and the characters that they made us fall in love with in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad to hear that because uh, Riki, Sarah, and I all kind of went on a journey together of recording about every episode of Clone Wars. You can find that all in the back archives of this podcast. And there's some great episodes. There's some there's some ones that we uh, we, we powered our way through. Uh, that, that little general and the droids going on their adventure. You know, we, we found a way to have some fun with it. But I love what you said about how this, this show really fills in the gaps because I think... You know, I, I, I'm the older generation. I didn't love the prequels as much as others did, but I love what the show did in terms of helping to fill in the gap, you mm-hmm. know, as you said, to, to better explain. And I think for me, I don't think I can imagine watching the Kenobi show. Mm-hmm. For me, so much of my sense of Kenobi himself comes from this show. And so I want today to be about both if you've seen the show, if you know the show and love it, we're going to kind of take you deep into it. And, you know, talk about all the things from the show that we might, you know, are going to influence how we understand Kenobi. And if you haven't, if you've got the time to go watch seven seasons of animated television in the next 11 days, I strongly encourage you to do so. But just in case, we're going to kind of, you know, help help you uh, carry your way through. So let me kind of start. And for Riki and Sarah, kicking it back over to you. How are you feeling overall about Kenobi? What's what's kind of we've heard the exciting and very exciting, but kind of what has you so excited about the show? As a fan of both like Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian, I've just been a big fan of what Disney Plus has been doing with Star Wars and these little mini series that have come out. I guess mm-hmm. Bad Batch included in that as well. Um, and yeah, I so I'm just excited to see what they do with the franchise. I'm excited to have Ewan McGregor back. Um, I'm kind of excited to have Hayden Christensen back although I know that upsets Matthew when I say that um oh 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 opinions may have changed all right well first of all we do have someone else on the podcast who has made very clear that she will suffer no Hayden Christensen hate (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I I made a pledge on May the 4th I made one last TikTok in which I expressed my (laughs) reservations about his acting and then honestly frankly it's it's much more even it's not even just that I don't like Hayden it's that to me Matt Latner claimed the character so well, the voice of Anakin in uh, the Clone Wars TV show. But I made the pledge on May 4th that I will have no more negativity. I am excited to see what Hayden can do. Awesome. Um, yeah, I like I like May 4th, re- May 4th resolution. Seems better than New Year's <laughs> resolutions anyway. Um, but yeah, and it also just like filling in, these filling in the backstories stories are really nice. I know we get some backstories in the books but i mean i'm also a grad student i'm extraordinarily dyslexic reading ain't my forte um reading for leisure at least uh so yeah i'm just excited to have more star wars i love ewan mcgregor so much Mm. i mean Mm -hmm. when i was growing up i first saw him in train spotting and that movie is kind of questionable right it's about a bunch (laughs) of heroin addicts but his performance was so good in that and then I started following his career. Sarah knows that I have an unhealthy love for Moulin Rouge. Mm. And that the end of that movie always makes me cry. Ewan McGregor is just a fantastic actor. Getting him back in the role as Obi-Wan is just mm-hmm. amazing. I, I, I never imagined that this would happen. Yeah. 
I still have not seen Moulin Rouge. I understand, though, that um, something about Ewan McGregor in hopeless uh, romances with women named Satine, just it's a thing now. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, his acting, I, I, it's funny. The last time I saw him was in The Suicide Squad, which I don't know if anyone saw else saw, but he was one of the main uh, antagonists, the main antagonist. And it blew me away that that was the same actor. And I think that just kind of reminded me again what a good actor he is, how excited I think I am as well for, to see that. Wait, which yeah. one? I think it's suicide Birds of Squad or the Suicide Squad. The James Squad. Gunn one? I think it's. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's Birds of Prey. Birds okay. of Prey. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the character of Kenobi himself. What is it? And we're kind of getting into specifics, but just if you had to kind of start overall and and just jump in however you want. Starting just overall, when you think of like Kenobi in the Clone Wars, what what does this show introduce about his character that we might not have seen in the movies necessarily? He loves to ride animals. That's my number one thing about him. I mean, he rides that lizard in Revenge of the Sith, but his animal riding in the Clone Wars just escalates so much. And it's all different kinds, like sea animals, flying animals. I'm like, this guy just needs to start a zoo. He's like the Stephen Irwin of, uh, Steve Irwin of mm-hmm. the Star Wars universe. Um, I also just like, when we get into A New Hope, He's already a very haggard old man. Like, Tatooine has done some stuff to him. So he's, like, a little... You know, he's in, he's in the twilight of his life. He's making crazy metaphors. But, like, seeing him in the Clone Wars, he's, like, really sassy. Um, really kind of, like, exasperated with Anakin mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, never a situation that isn't perfect for a sassy comment from Obi-Wan, which is just delightful. Yeah, one of my favorite, well, I guess I have two favorite things about Obi-Wan in The Clone Wars. And the first is that we really get to see him occasionally struggle with his faith in the Order and mm-hmm. that we don't see in Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith as much, uh, whether it's because he's battling his feelings for Satine that we will always have or uh, trying not to fall when she dies. And... I love that so much because a lot of times he's shown as this kind of like straight-laced, he'll do what needs to be done, uh, like what happens at the end of Revenge of the Sith. But in the Clone Wars, we get to see him struggle with that. He's not entirely sure. And uh, he has questions. And I think one of the most beautiful moments is when he apologizes to Ahsoka in the Siege of Mandalore arc uh, for what happened in the Wrong Jedi arc. He says he knows that he was wrong. The Council was wrong. They made mistakes but he needs her help. And I think that is Obi-Wan to a T, really, for me. And uh, the second, I guess, would be... Uh, I've lost my track, train of thought. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. Um, his brotherhood with Anakin. Uh, yes. We see in Attack of the Clones, Anakin say that he's like a father figure to him. And to an extent, I see that more in the movies uh, mm-hmm. But they really, I think they really wanted to get across the idea that, you know, Obi-Wan was a brother to him, especially within right. Revenge of the Sith. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. And I feel like we only see, we really see that brotherhood relationship in the Clone Wars as opposed yeah. to Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And I love how you put that. Cause I want to go back to the Satine stuff. I'm also going to fill in what all that means for our listeners who haven't seen the show. Uh, we're going to throw out a lot of storylines. Trust me, we will kind of fill you in. But for me, when I started all of this, you know, I'm someone who grew up with the original series, uh, kind of the way you talked about it. I do not remember a time. I remember watching Return of the Jedi. 
I don't remember a time before I had seen Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And for me, so the question always was, you know, Obi-Wan says, you know, I thought I could train Anakin the way Yoda had trained me. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to know what did that mean? And I, I, for me, that's the biggest thing the show gets for me is that I see the and, – and I think it's one thing we're going to talk about because I don't think it's clear exactly what did he do wrong or how much guilt should he or should he have. But certainly I think the TV show showing us so much more of their time together, showing him both trying to reign in Anakin but also kind of giving Anakin a lot of room to run – I think it really kind of helps fill in that question of why does Obi-Wan feel like it's his fault, mm. which I imagine we're going to see a lot in the show going forward. So just kind of to fill people in a bit, you talked about the Satine plotline, uh, which is obviously a big, big part of Anakin's character in the Clone Wars. Who is Satine? What happens with them? Do they sing and dance like you do in Moulin Rouge? Uh, what, what's the story <laughs> oh, <I> there? I wish. <laughs> yeah, right? that would be fun. <laughs> Um, well, Satine is Obi-Wan's past uh, love interest from when he was a Padawan. He you know, went to Mandalore to uh, save Satine from uh, civil unrest on her planet, and they formed a very close relationship during that time. The extent to that relationship is never really said, but it's clear that mm-hmm. he loved her and she loved him. And we first see Satine when there's, um, I forget what the arc is called, but it's when she is facing trouble on Mandalore and the her sister, Death Watch, she, okay, mm-hmm. they're facing trouble on Mandalore. And yep. a sect of Mandalorians called Death Watch are against Satine's pro- uh, neutrality. Neutrality, neutral. yeah. She's the Get leader of the neutral past. systems, yes. And the Death Watch is against that. And Obi-Wan once again has to come and kind of protect Satine. And we get to see their relationship, how it is now, how it used to be, how they feel about each other. And the important part of this, I think, is that they wanted to show that Obi-Wan actually understands how Anakin feels about yeah. wanting to love someone and feeling like you can't. Uh, but they never talk about it. And that's the whole thing is that there's a lack of communication there, a lack of openness with each other, a lack of trust really in the, that the other one might understand what they were going through. And that's why I think Satine is so important. And ultimately, uh, Satine is, spoiler alert, ultimately Satine is murdered by Maul. And that is the moment where Obi-Wan is the closest he ever comes to falling to the dark side. And he resists because he knows that Satine wouldn't want that and so she plays two very important roles in Obi-Wan's life showing that he understood Anakin better than anyone ever knew and that he would never fall to the dark side if he didn't when Satine died uh one quick I want to let other people respond to that one quick note uh the death watch that she's kind of struggling with uh for those playing our home game at home for those playing along our home game if you have seen the the tv show Mandalore and Book of Boba Fett and they talk about Din being a you know part of the children of the watch that is a descendant of that so like it's kind of a great way that this through story about the internal politics of Mandalore have just been going throughout the Star Wars story all along yeah, Danielle mentioned um, the relationship between them. At one point, there's an assassin who is trying to kill Satine. And then, of course, Obi-Wan and Anakin are, are there to protect her. 
and mm-hmm. under threat of death by the assassins, Satine admits that she loves Obi-Wan. And then Obi-Wan says that if you had asked me to, I would have left the Jedi Order. And yeah. it's such a beautiful moment for those characters. And I think like Obi-Wan and Anakin even have a little moment where Anakin's like, go off with your girlfriend. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Obi-Wan's like, Anakin, like you do not get it. This is a huge deal. I can't do yeah. that. The fact that you're 100% screwing around with Padme and I have to pretend that I don't know about it sucks a lot. Um, yeah. Hey. And that's such a great way to transition into the first question I really want to ask because one of the things I think the movies don't make clear that I think the, the show really helps us fill in, but still I'm not – I wonder what other people think. I watch all that and part of what I get is that – like you said, I, I think it's pretty clear that Obi-Wan suspects or even knows that something is going on. Uh, the book actually Brotherhood that just came out kind of gives more hints in that direction and it's canon, but we're going just with what the show says. Do you think that on some level Obi-Wan kind of doesn't stop Anakin or doesn't try to be – because on some level he he sort of is still like, I can't stop Anakin from having the thing that I so badly wanted. Is that – is there some level of like that like, I know Anakin shouldn't do this, but I, I just don't have it in me because I know how much I lost? How, how does that all play out do you think? Yeah, I think I think there's definitely an aspect of that um, in, in a sort of like living vicariously through mm-hmm. Anakin. But I think there's also an aspect of like Obi-Wan isn't Anakin's father or father mm-hmm. figure. He's like the cool older brother, right? Mm-hmm. So like if Qui-Gon were still around, I think Qui-Gon would have shut this down much more quickly, right? And just been mm-hmm. like, as the father figure, I say you can't do this get right with the Jedi, etc. But I don't feel like, I don't think that Obi-Wan feels he has that authority over mm-hmm. Anakin to say like, no dude, you can't be in this relationship with Padme. And so he just has to go on pretending that he, he doesn't know about it until like, I think it's season seven of Clone Wars um, that we finally get him like ad- admitting that he's known this whole mm-hmm. time. Like, okay, why don't you go off to your super secret relationship with Padme? Bye, Anakin. <laughs> Um, they never explicitly say it in the show, but they heavily, heavily imply it. That one scene right. is yeah. like as close to just full on saying it as you can get. But Whereas it, like I, earlier, I think it's more of an implication. It's never, it's never spoken aloud mm. by characters. Right. Yeah. I think I like the, the point you made, Sarah, about how Qui-Gon would have shut it down. And I think to add to that, Qui-Gon would have known how to do that without mm-hmm. angering Anakin more. Because mm-hmm. he also did that with Obi-Wan. Like, he didn't, you know, straight up tell Obi-Wan that he couldn't have what he wanted. But he, he understood that, Ob- what, that Obi-Wan was going through this with Satine. Um, and if you read Master and Apprentice, Qui-Gon, like, hints at that. He's like, yes, we remember what happened with Satine. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon would have known what to say to Anakin in a way that Obi-Wan never knew how to. And I think that's because Obi-Wan mm-hmm. related maybe too hard, too heavily with yeah. Anakin mm-hmm. and felt like he didn't, like you said, he didn't have a right to tell him not to go down this path when he almost did. And he didn't want to be a hypocrite. And he also, I think there's something to say about the fact that Obi-Wan had seen Anakin in so much pain for most of his mm-hmm. life. And when he sees him with Padme and he's happy, he doesn't have the heart to take that away from him. 
And oh, that, I hadn't even thought of that. But such a good point. Yeah, and that hurts to think about. <laughs> yeah, I, in fact, I've seen text of supposedly. I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly part of the script for Revenge of the Sith. There was a scene with Obi-Wan talking to Padme about this and mm. saying, I've known all along, but when he's with you, he's so happy. How could I take that away from him? Like, literally, just, and they, they didn't put it in, and I don't know how to feel about that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it would, because there's that later line where he says, Anakin is the father, isn't he? Which I feel like it, you, ha- you have to take that line out if that scene's sure. in there, mm. or else you're making, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um and I, kind of, I like that line so much that maybe it's better. But yeah, it would have been great to see some acknowledgement of that somewhere along the way. Yeah, and the stuff about Qui-Gon, there is a great interview with Dave Filoni where he talks about this, about how Qui-Gon should have been the father. So when it mm-hmm. fell upon Anakin, the brother, he, he just could not deliver you know, the proper guidance for him. You, you mean right. Obi-Wan, the brother? Yeah, sorry, Obi-Wan. Yeah. I like that because I'll admit the first time I saw Phantom Menace, I didn't like it because there's a number of reasons I didn't like it. Again, <laughs> that's not what the show is about. I promise, Danielle. Um, but one of the things that felt wrong to me was, again, I'd always had this idea from the original movies that Obi-Wan had taken it upon himself to train Anakin because he, you know, all the what the original trilogy sets up. And so here, the idea that like it wasn't actually Obi-Wan who said, no, Anakin has to be trained. It was Qui-Gon. And Obi-Wan just does it basically because he can't say no to his father figure as he's dying. Mm. It felt off to me. But I think they really paid it off really well because I think that's kind of what we're getting at here is that one of the things that makes it harder for Obi-Wan is that Obi-Wan really comes to love Anakin as his brother. Absolutely. I mean, again, none of these people are good at not having attachments. But I think the fact that he wasn't invested in the training of Anakin the way Qui-Gon was, for him it was, it's something I have to do for Qui-Gon. And I think Mm -hmm. that... That adds all new levels to, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? I'm watching Anakin, you know, go kill the sand. Like, the other thing I think he never asks about is what happened on Tatooine mm-hmm. with the sand people. But it's pretty clear that he kind of figures it out to some extent. And there's just all these moments where he sees Anakin going darker and doesn't know what to do. And I think that's sort of that that duty to Qui-Gon that's motivating him is a big part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But he, Obi-Wan has two strict of an adherence to the jedi code Mm. you know as we see from him not having a relationship with satine and qui-gon was a master i believe who was actually removed from the council because Mm -hmm. of his anti-dogma stances so he very much not only could have been a better father figure but could have even been someone who bridged the gap with the jedi council and made them see that perhaps they were wrong well, I think um, an important note to that, and I know we're, we're talking mostly about like what is in the, um, the movies and the shows, but in Master and Apprentice, uh, it's that Qui-Gon was offered a spot on the council, but he turned it down so that he could continue his training with Obi-Wan. And I think that that adds another layer to this in that Qui-Gon was devoted not to the council, but to his teachings and to his apprentices and that he wanted more than what he let me rephrase that more than he wanted to be on the council he wanted to ensure that his apprentices were taken care of and were trained in a way that he saw fit 
and so that he did that for Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan kind of takes the opposite. He's offered a spot on the council and he accepts it. He's not training Anakin anymore. Anakin's no longer his Padawan. But I think there's still kind of that separation of Qui-Gon didn't need to follow the order. He didn't need to follow the council, but Obi-Wan did because of who he is as a character. And that's why I love what you pointed out about him and uh, Ahsoka so much and that apology he gives. And just to quickly fill people in, this is a very significant plot line. Ahsoka is Anakin's Padawan, a very important part of the show. And uh, she's she's now appeared in Mandalorian and is going to get her own show pretty soon. And she appears in, in other media as well. And, and what happens at one point in Clone Wars is she's basically framed for betraying the Jedi and she's told basically to leave the Jedi Order. And then later they're like, oh, oops, we, we screwed up. We, can we bring you back? And, and Obi-Wan's very involved in this process. And, and that's, again, where he – there's many times, but there especially, where he is sort of like, well, I don't fully agree with what the council does, but I have to obey the council. This is what we have to do. And on some level I feel like his apology to Ahsoka there, I think both of them have to be thinking about Anakin as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and all the times where he had to tell Anakin no – on behalf of the council, mm-hmm. um, you know, in ways that um, he could tell were, were, were not good for Anakin. And it's just, I think that is, as I see it, at least that's Obi-Wan's struggle through most of the Clone Wars is how do I honor the council and trust that the council knows better than I do, even though I see that these things are harming Anakin or maybe taking Anakin in bad directions. I think, okay, so I know you're doing quick summary. Um, but the whole, like, the, the, the Jedi Council saying, like, oops, are bad. Like, Je- the Jedi Council never said, oops, are bad to Ahsoka. They basically mm-hmm. said, like, huh, guess it wasn't you who did this assassination. Well, come on back. And, like, never apologized to her, which I think is an important part. And, like, ties into what you were saying at the end, Matthew, where, like, the Jedi Council isn't, is never going to admit that they were wrong, right? The Jedi Council thinks the Jedi Council knows best. Right. And Obi-Wan is trying to bridge this gap, but there's, like... There's, there's no gap to bridge, right? Like, the Jedi Council is fundamentally wrong because they're all having their strings pulled by Palpatine without realizing that's what's going on. Um, so, like, Obi-Wan is trying to bridge this connection and just straight up can't. And I think, like... Like, I don't know if Anakin would have become Vader were it not happening all at these, like, dying stages of the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. and like Obi-Wan trying so hard to stitch this thing back together that just like fundamentally cannot come together. Well, I think- and Obi-Wan is very young, yeah. right? As a master, like he's new yeah. to the mastership as we go through this journey, whereas pretty much everyone else on that council has, is already there as of the Phantom Menace. So as a junior member, I feel like he just doesn't feel like he can defy them or even voice his dissent as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting the every time Palpatine gets brought in because he is he <laughs> is the curator of all of this chaos, all of this manipulation mm-hmm. that is happening. And it's really sad to think about because there are moments in all of across the Star Wars media where we see that uh council members are not bad people. They're just being put in situations and manipulated in ways that they don't know how to act. They're not prepared on how to stand up to this uh, because at this point, the order is so integrated into the Republic and so integrated into the Senate, especially that it's hard to tell where the order ends and the Senate begins. 
And that makes all of their decisions so much more, uh, have so much more meaning than I think they realize and so much more of an effect than they realize. There's beautiful moments in the Clone Wars between Mace and Anakin, for example, where they're friends. Mm -hmm. They're friends. They get along. They laugh at each other. And uh, it's so difficult, it's so hard to see that what could have been a good friendship between them dissolve into what it is at the end of Revenge of the Sith because of Palpatine's manipulations to both of them. And um, I think Obi-Wan falls into that because at the end of the day, Palpatine should have never been allowed as close to Anakin as he was for as long as he was. And um, that is not only Obi-Wan's responsibility, but it is, I think, something that he probably feels guilt for afterwards. Like, I should have stepped in. And I think that's where Qui-Gon would have stepped in. Qui-Gon would have said, no, you cannot have access to Anakin this way. And no one else did that. I think that's a really good point. And one of the things that I get a sense of from Obi-Wan, especially in the Clone Wars TV show, is that he does love the Jedi so much that I... You know, I think sometimes in organizations, when you when you don't see the bad parts of something, it's hard for you to understand why someone else does. Mm. You know, for me, as someone who's been in the church for most of my professional life in one way or another, this is something that comes up all the time, mm. you know, and the people leave the church because they, they try to talk to their pastor or others in the church about all the problems. And they're like, well, you, you'll get over it. Don't worry. Just pray. Everything will feel better. Mm. And I don't think Obi-Wan is that bad, but I think there's some level of that. I think... and. One thing I'm always struck by is how different their upbringings were Mm. because, yes, they both have this attachment in a romantic way that's really powerful and tempts them. But Obi-Wan has, I I think at one point we're told in one of the novels that he literally was brought to the temple as an infant, as a baby. Mm. He didn't have any attachments outside of the temple until Satine or maybe some others. Whereas Anakin, like, I don't think we often think about how traumatic it is. There's a nine-year-old boy he's taken away from his mother and that he he comes new to the temple and he's had all these grand masters say, I don't think you I think you're too old. I think you're too afraid. I think you're too – this little green man with pointy ears is saying I think you're too worried about your mother. You can't be a good Jedi. And I, in some ways it's almost a kind of a privilege thing, you know, where Obi-Wan has – had the privilege of never having to experience any of that, of always having the safety and comfort of the Jedi. And I'm curious if you'll agree with this. I, for me, I think on some level, I think he can just never quite understand why it is so hard for Anakin. Mm. Does that does that kind of make sense? Hmm. And I think it's like, it's more than just Obi-Wan having this upbringing entirely within the Jedi Order. It's like every Jedi ever, right? Like they're going, yeah. they're grabbing babies kids who are Mm -hmm. too young to like feel attachments to their parents and then indoctrinating them into the jedi order which is just like kind of wild when you think that this is these are the good guys but anyway (laughs) um like yeah, yeah like the fact that anakin at nine years old is considered like too old already is wild um and and yeah like this idea that not just obi-wan but like literally none of the other jedi can understand what he's going through. Um, and I think this is not to like dive too far back into Rebels, but another reason why I like Rebels so much is because it's exploring this like quote unquote too old to be a Jedi through the eyes of like mm-hmm. Kanan and Ezra, but without like necessarily pushing them down right. the, the same dark side that Anakin went down. Yeah. One thing um, 
and I won't talk too much about Rebels either, but um, (laughs) save that for another time. Um, But what I love is is that it shows that really the Jedi problem originally with attachments wasn't meant to be that you can't love anybody or that you can't have these feelings. It's just meant that you have to let them go. You have to be able to let them go when it comes down to Mm -hmm. it. And I think that that maybe that understanding of that kind of got skewed a little bit more towards the time we're at the prequels. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you have uh, engaged with the High Republic uh, reading uh, series, but it is so good at showing that. It's so good at showing where the Order was and what they were meant to be and how they got to where they were at the prequels. And there's a, not to get too much into it, but there is a character who joins them later in her life. Um, I think she's like, 16 maybe when they find her and they don't allow her to become a jedi but they allow her to stay with them and i think that that is a big difference between it really is then and when we see anakin mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't think they were prepared for someone like anakin and they weren't prepared on how to take care of him in a way that qui-gon was going to be prepared to yeah i think it's so true i mean it gets it's it's on the one hand so frustrating in some ways. Like I, I'm sure people have written lots of fanfic about this, but I kind of you know if Star Wars ever does a what if show, I would love to see some things about what if Qui Gon stay, mm-hmm. stays alive. Uh, if nothing else, because I think one of the most unexplored characters in the whole Clone Wars era is Count Dooku, mm-hmm. and I know that so much of his leaving the Jedi and things like that is the death of Qui Gon. So there's just there's so much story to tell there. Um. So I think there's so much about – uh, actually, so there's one other thing here that I want to talk about, which is that how much uh, – like throughout the – one of the things that Clone Wars does so well is it shows us these little moments of Anakin starting to have a little more dark side to him. And some of them have nothing to do with Obi-Wan. Some of them are right in front of Obi-Wan. Uh, one of my personal favorites is one – going back to him and Satine – They've captured someone who they were fighting, and the, and the guy's kind of mocking them because he's like, look, what are you going to do? Because, Satine, you're a pacifist. You can't kill me. Obi-Wan, you can't kill me because if you kill me, you betray your feelings to, you know, your, the woman you love. And, by the way, you can't leave me alive because I'm going to ruin all your plans. So what's going to—and in the middle of a sentence, you just see a lightsaber stabbed through the back— and the dark side music plays for a few bars. And it's one of the best scenes in all of Clone Wars. And it's an incredible scene, but I'm kind of left wondering, like, Obi-Wan, why don't you hear the music? Like, why don't you see the problem here? <laughs> um, what, what's kind of your take on, like, what of Obi-Wan's descent, uh, what of Anakin's descent Obi-Wan gets to see and sort of why he does or doesn't react? Well, we have the benefit oh. of perspective. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um which I think is always so interesting. And I try every time I you know, engage with Star Wars, especially prequel era Star Wars or anything before the original trilogy, is that we do have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, we yeah. know what's going to happen. And that's what makes it so good is that we know what's going to happen. And uh, these characters don't. They have no idea that Order 66 is going to yeah. happen. They have no idea that Anakin's going to fall. And so, you know, I, I, I associate Obi-Wan not seeing that as being like, well, like, what if, what if your own sibling or your own partner or whoever who's close, who you're closest to, did this one thing, and you're just kind of like, oh, that's a little bit worrying. But you know what? I know the real you. I know, I know who you are. 
Um, I don't think that this would ever happen. And then a war is happening at the same time. So you're brought to different things. You don't have really time to think about it as much as you should. And then it all happens and you look back and you think, yeah, I maybe should have done something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just rewatched that scene, Matthew. And the assa- this is the assassin. He has a detonator. And after... Anakin kills him with his lightsaber and Obi-Wan acts kind of surprised and says something. Anakin just kind of shrugs it off and says, what? He was going to blow up the ship. And I think Mm -hmm. part of what's going on here is the continued slide of all of the Jedi down Mm -hmm. Sheev Palpatine's, you know, helter-skelter slide (laughs) of, you know, oh, now you you Jedi kill people because it's war and it's combat. And they are losing their morality. They're losing their sense of morality. In fact, Satine and Obi-Wan in that episode have an argument about this where, you know, she says, oh, you're a general now. And and they had this argument about, you know, whether they're protectors or fighters and what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is like tying back into something Danielle mentioned earlier about like the Jedi's entanglement with like bureaucracy and government. Right. Like they the the argument that Obi-Wan and Satine are having is like how can you be a protector of of peace while fighting a war? Like, that's just an antithetical concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think it is this, like, the dying days of the Jedi Order mm-hmm. are what's, like, ultimately fueling all of this, right? Because, like, Palpatine's playing both sides and, like, pulling the Jedi into this. And I think, like, another reason why Obi-Wan maybe isn't calling Anakin out on these, like, questionable behaviors is because, like, Anakin's getting things done. Right? Like, yeah. the the guy was going to blow up the ship. He did have a detonator. So, like, you, <laughs> Anakin killing him was very helpful in this situation. Um, and it's, like, this, this slide... Like, he's not at murdering children yet. Although, like, mm-hmm. he will get there shortly, mm-hmm. right? Where it's, like, that's probably not great. Mm-hmm. But even then, like... He's executed a criminal. Yeah. yeah. Right. Before... before the criminal before could due blow process. All of them. <laughs> before due process, but before the yeah. criminal could like kill all of them, yeah. right? And like, there's a, a lot of those little moments where he's doing something pretty questionable, but it's ultimately very helpful. So yeah. I think you're like a little more want to let that slide. Yeah. But you're it, you're absolutely right that this this is a descent. Like we hear the dark side music because why didn't you just cut off his hand that was holding the detonator? <laughs> perhaps right? He stabs him right through the heart yeah. from the back. Right. Yeah, it's funny. It, um, I don't know if any of you are Game of Thrones fans. Uh, no comments with the last seasons. But, you know, there's a, there's a great scene in the first book or in uh, the first season where the character of Bronn goes up against a knight. And the knight is fighting honorable, proper, elegant combat. And Bronn is just fighting to win. And Bronn winds up winning. And at the end of the fight, you know, the, the, the people watching say, you don't fight honorably. And he points to the corpse and says he did. Yeah. And, and to me, that's very much Anakin in that moment. Like Obi Wan mm-hmm. and the Jedi, they want. And I think you're right. That's what. Sh- that's what's so brilliant about what, what Palpatine does is put the Jedi in the situation where they want to fight honorably. They want to do the right thing, but war is hell, and it's hard to do that in in hell of war. And you know, one thing I think that's so interesting is everyone who cared about Anakin purely not the way that Palpatine cared about him. Uh, But everyone who cared about him purely, Obi-Wan, Padme, Ahsoka, were all ultimately separated from each other in conversations when it comes to Anakin. 
So when instead they should have been able to talk with each other about how Anakin was acting, they weren't. Padme didn't know how he was acting during the war. Obi-Wan didn't know the things that Anakin did when he was around Padme, like killing the uh, the Tuscans, uh, beating up Clovis almost to death. And they never really... Out of, out of jealousy. Out of jealousy, yeah. And so mm-hmm. those are two things that, you know, Obi-Wan wouldn't have had the excuse of, oh, he had a reason to do this. He had, there was a good reason he got something done by doing this. He didn't. But because these people who had Anakin's best interests at heart were never really able to truly come together and discuss this and share this because of the war, because of the secrets that Anakin and Padme had to keep, uh, they were never able to see the full picture of what was happening to Anakin in the way that we as the viewers are. And that is what I think is, is so... Uh, the tragedy of it all is that it was there, but they were also separated from it and they couldn't see it. It's funny because the way we're talking before, kind of in my head, as someone who comes from a a family with a lot of addiction issues and stuff like that, I was kind of thinking like, so is Obi-Wan kind of an enabler? And I I don't mean this just uh, humorously because I was kind of getting goosebumps as you said all that, but like, yeah, the the idea of like, what if they could have had an intervention? Mm. You know, what if Ahsoka and Anna and Obi-Wan and Padme could all together talk to him? Mm. Um, there's a lot here more I want to talk about, but I want to uh, move us along. Um, sorry. There's a lot more we could say about this part of Obi-Wan, but I want to move us along. And We've been talking about the war. I really want to talk about Obi-Wan and the clones and Obi-Wan as a general because I think that's another big part of him in the show. And with the clones, you know, I think one of the things that the show really highlights that the, mo- that the movies don't is how much they all kind of differentiate themselves. You know, it's all this. They're all clones. But literally, they do it by expressing themselves through a lot of things, different voices, somewhat tattoos. But one of the biggest things is their personal grooming, how they do their (laughs) hair, how they do their facial hair. And, you know, I think it's awesome for masculine people to get to express themselves through their grooming, which is why this podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is like I love the transitions. We're having a lot of fun with them. Um, Manscaped, or as I like to refer to it, Peoplescaped, since I'm not a man, but I use their products. Um. One of the best in below-the-waist grooming for uh, those with family jewels, as it's described. Uh, the per- Forgive me. Precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They recently launched the ultimate uh, people's hygiene bundle, the performance package. I got it. You save like 100 bucks if you get all these different products. Um, they have a, uh, a groomer, a trimmer. They have something for your ear and nose. They have uh, really comfortable boxer shorts, a whole bunch of different products, um, deodorant and uh, lotion for the family jewels that I would have never thought of, but now I'm probably never going to hope I run out of because they're fantastic. And I just love the idea that we're paying a lot more attention to how people can express themselves in different ways, including uh, body hair grooming. So Manscaped, it's a great company. Uh, wish they'd changed the name, <laughs> but other than that, uh, people of all genders, if you have um, Audis below the waist, as I've been referring to it, um, you know, this is a great product for you. Uh, and if you go to their website, uh, which is manscaped.com, and use the hero code, uh, just swap Star Wars Universe Podcast, SWUP, you get 20% off if you want to order just one or two things, if you want to order the whole performance package, uh, just the ear and nose trimmer, uh, which can be great. Uh, t-shirts, boxer shorts, um, depending on your family relationship, if it's Father's Day coming up and some of this works as a Father's Day gift, I might say there's some therapy in your future, but whatever, <laughs> it can still be a great gift. Uh, definitely use that. So, uh, Danielle, here's the key question. I know you are a devotee of the clones. You know their different personalities so well. 
Which clones would be most likely to manscape? Fives. <laughs> yeah? Why is Fives. that? Fives is a player, but he's he's a ladies' man. He's a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. And he cares about what's going on under the belt for yeah. those ladies. And uh, I think that he would invest in some manscape, peoplescape products. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that. Nice. I just looked up clone haircuts <laughs> and discovered that there was a Commander Gree who has two strips of like shaved hair on top of his head. It's like a double mohawk situation. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. it's not tall. It's like shaved down to his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like the anti-mohawk because he just like shaves that one patch right in the middle of his head. Well, and the sides as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he's Commander Gree is clearly comfortable using, you know, some kind of razor slash cutter device around his head you know look the so army, why not the military mm-hmm. barracks you gotta have some good equipment to pass around so anyway definitely check out manscaped 20 percent off you use code swup uh now that i'm done uh making a fool of myself for uh moolah let's get back to the actual episode so obviously it's the clone wars the show is about the war and i think the show really illustrates quite well as we've all said how the war is one of the things that it corrupts the Jedi. It's there. They weren't meant to be generals and things happen there. Um, how do you think that affects Obi-Wan? What actually, let's kind of narrow it down first. Um, one of the key issues in the whole show is the fact that most of the generals try to be fairly, you know, withdrawn from the, um, from the, the clones. And part of it's just the, like, I have to be willing to order them to die. Part of that's the whole, like, are they people? Are they clones? Where do they fall? Anakin is all over being an attachment. He loves his soldiers. They love him. Where do you think Obi-Wan falls with that in terms of his relationship with the clones and and ordering them to their deaths? You know, I think Obi-Wan really cares about his his troopers. Uh, I think that his relationship with him falls a lot into what we see with Yoda in the very first episode of the Clone Wars series, which mm-hmm. is that um, you, you know Yoda is stranded on a planet with a couple of his troopers, and the troopers tell him, uh, you know, we're expendable, sir, or like that, that's what we're supposed to do. And um, he says that they're individuals, or that he he views them as individuals, not as you know just another one of a one of a million. They're right. they're individual people, and then we see. Um, Master Plo Plo Koon, who tells them that they're not expendable to him. He cares about them. And so I think that largely, you know, with the exception of one Master Krell, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Jedi were arguably the only ones who viewed the clones as people and as individuals. And I've, I think that, you know, if Order 66 hadn't happened, in an ideal world, it would have been the Jedi fighting for the clones' rights and integration into the galaxy more than anyone else would have. But I do take your point on, you know, a lot of times we see like uh, Illuminara um, or Luminara, not Illuminara. We see Luminara kind of act a little bit indifferent towards her clones occasionally. And that I think falls into what you said with them trying to separate themselves, trying to not uh, get too attached to the point where it's hard for them to lose these troopers because the reality of it is, is they were dying left and right every day. And how do you uh, associate your code of empathy and caring about people dying with 
sending these clones off to their death every day. And I think Obi-Wan does struggle with that. Interestingly, we don't see it a lot in the Clone Wars. There's not a specific episode that I can think of where Obi-Wan has to struggle with that. Uh, but we do see his care for his men. Um, we see him say, you know, Cody, he cares about Cody. There's lots of interactions there. He knows all the names of his troopers. And I think that that says a lot. But yeah, we don't really get that the way that we get it with Anakin or with Plo Koon or with a Yoda, which is interesting. I've never thought about that before. I, I have thoughts on that. But first, am I correct that like Anakin, ha- he is the general of the 501st. Mm-hmm. That is his battalion. And during various fights, Obi-Wan has troopers who are obeying him. But my, my understanding is that as, since he's a master on the council, he doesn't have, like, his battalion. Am I right about that? It's the 212th. So the 212th okay, is Obi-Wan's. Um, and so they – yeah, so he, he is a general of the 212th. Um, Cody is the commander of that battalion, but he's also the marshal commander of the Gar. So he oversees – um, most of the troopers in the Gar. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the 212th is like the big, big, big one. Uh, and then right. the 501st is right up there with them. And then the other ones kind of go a little bit lower. And uh, Gar, by the way, is the Grand Army of the Republic, which, by the way, is also the name of the army that uh, Grant, eventually Grant had in fighting the Confederates in the Civil War, uh, <laughs> which is a, you know, just if you needed to be reminded that the separatists are bad, 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 bad. <laughs> even though they never tell us why. But that's another story entirely. (laughs) I'm going to go off on like a mini Luminara tangent. Oh boy. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) So like Luminara unduly, the the fact that Danielle, you mentioned that she's like uncaring towards the clones made me think about her relationship with her Padawan, Barris Afi, who ultimately is the one who perpetrated the uh, bombing. bombing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the betrayal of the Jedi Council and framed it on Ahsoka, which got Ahsoka kicked out, which like made Anakin go down on this like weird spiral of I'm being abandoned and betrayed. Um, but then, okay, then I think it's super weird that in Rebels, they're using Luminara's body to basically trap other um, Jedi by like caring about her. So I think there's this weird thing where like she's embodying this Jedi ideal of not caring and like being detached from everyone and it's having bad ramifications in her like in the old republic right or in the um republic but then afterwards people being attached to her mm-hmm. in the sort of post order 66 world are, are are is ultimately luring and trapping and killing more jedi anyway mini tangent over thank you <laughs> No, and I think it's a good one. I think, I mean, one of the most interesting scenes with Luminara is where Barris and Ahsoka get trapped, and Anakin's like, my pad- my Padawan's trapped. Our Padawans are trapped. We have to do everything. And Luminara's like, oh, What's well. <laughs> I mean, not, she's not callous about it, but I think she has the attitude of, you know, look, we have to focus on the wider war. Um, and that's where, Danielle, I, I would push back just a little bit. Well, what's wrong with it? Danielle, I think I, I see a little bit more of it with Obi-Wan than you do, and, and it, because it's, it's never about him with his troops directly. It's that there's a lot of times where Obi-Wan is ordering Anakin to pull back his troops or to, you know, order his troops to do something that's going to be dangerous for them because it's going to help the larger battle plan. And Anakin's always fighting with Obi-Wan saying, no, 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 I have, like, Anakin always wants to go do these crazy things to save his troops' lives that Obi-Wan's like, you can't do that. It's not a risk worth taking. Anakin's always always able to do it, so it kind of turns out okay. 
But I, I think that's the, the, the little bit where I think we do see it with Obi-Wan in that he is – he wants Anakin to focus on the larger war plan even if sometimes it means you don't go rescue Ahsoka. You don't go rescue your droid. You don't go rescue R2. You don't go rescue your clone soldiers. Mm. Yeah. I was, so I was just about to bring up Anakin going and rescuing R2. And like doesn't he get some clones involved in that rescue attempt? For the droid, under the guise that, like, oh, I haven't wiped his memory, so he's got a lot of battle <laughs> plans, so, like, yikes if the Separatists get him. Yeah. Um, but, but like, in that instance, like, he, Obi-Wan is telling him no, because this is dumb, um, and would waste clone lives, basically. And Anakin's like, no, my little robot pal. <laughs> yeah. I think... And is, like, putting clones in danger, yeah. Yeah, I think that it's... Yeah, it... Because I, I would agree, I would agree with that, because I think that Anakin's wild and crazy plans a lot of times did unnecessarily put lives at risk. And so I think mm-hmm. there's kind of a, a back and forth, if you will, between Obi-Wan not wanting to needlessly waste lives and Anakin wanting to go and save his friends. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Anakin is mm-hmm. Anakin has a heart that is so big, but it is, by the time we get to the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith, reserved mostly for the people he cares about, the people he considers his loyal companions. And those are Ahsoka, Rex, Padme. And I'm not saying he wouldn't do the same for any of his other 501st troopers, but I think that he would be more likely to risk everything to go save Rex or to go save Ahsoka other than, you know, Mm -hmm. some shiny, some new CT that showed up that day. And... And so he he is okay with, you know, having crazy plans that kill, or maybe not okay, but he's accepted that he has to do that because Anakin is more may is made more for war than any of the other Jedi. By that point, mm-hmm. by the time of the Clone Wars, he is the one who is okay with all of this stuff. He doesn't. He may battle with it a little bit, but not to the extent that Obi Wan battles with what he's doing as a war general. To the extent that in the Siege of Mandalore we see Ahsoka with her big, you know, big emotional conversation with Rex about how the Jedi are supposed to be keepers of the peace, but she's only ever been trained to be a a warrior. She's only ever been trained to be a soldier. And they all struggle with it to the extent that I don't think Anakin ever did or Anakin never spoke about anyway. Yeah. One of my other absolute favorite arcs from the Clone Wars, and this is more just about Anakin, but I think it plays into the Obi-Wan conversation, is when Anakin is part of a rescuing a bunch of people from a prison that includes a young Republic officer named Captain Tarkin, who, of course, grows mm-hmm. up to be uh, Grand, Marf- Grand Moff Tarkin. And at one point during the conversation, like, Tarkin clearly is a brawn guy. You know, Tarkin says, like, he doesn't like the Jedi. He thinks the Jedi are bad generals because they won't just fight the war. They keep trying to do the honorable thing and they won't just win. And him and Anakin have this chilling conversation where they're agreeing with each other. Mm. And it's just it, – it's one of my favorite scenes because it's so subtle. But you kind of see there what kind of think exactly what you're talking about, that where Obi-Wan is trying to be the good Jedi and a general, Anakin's made for this stuff. Yeah. I love that one because there, there's a, a scene when that happens. Uh, one, of the, one of the times when Anakin is agreeing with Tarkin, Obi-Wan is around. And Obi-Wan just kind of gives him a look like – what? Mm-hmm. And then Ahsoka also does that. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you agree with him? How can you agree with him? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. Now, that little bit of conversation did bring up a question, a little bit lighter question, but one that has bothered me this entire time. And I'm wondering if you can help answer this. 
in again going back to a new hope at one point r2 says hello to obi-wan first of all obi-wan doesn't recognize the two droids that that's a whole other thing but he says strange i don't remember ever owning a droid he has numerous droids that are his throughout the Clone Wars. Can, can you make this make sense? I watched um, when I did my rewatch of A New Hope. I, uh, I recorded it and I paused it on that. And I said, R4 is very angry with you right now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean, okay, my make it make sense is that like he probably recognizes it as R2, Anakin's droid. And he knows that Luke is Anakin's son. So he sees that something's up. And what he's really saying is like, I don't remember owning R2-D2, this droid right here. What's about to go down? Um, and then it just like comes out as this like weird half-truth of, I don't remember owning a yeah. droid. Uh, Vader killed your father. It makes sense from a certain <laughs> point of view. My excuse for it is that... Um, so technically, Anakin did own R2 because R2 was Padme's droid. So Padme gifts right. R2 to Anakin so that he does own him. Uh, Obi-Wan didn't technically own R4. R4 was property of the Grand Army of the Republic. So mm. he was being lent out to Obi-Wan to use. Yeah. And so, mm. you know, the Jedi weren't technically supposed to own things like this. So his half-truth again, Obi-Wan made up of half-truths and hyperbole, like Satine says, mm -hmm. um, that he didn't own R4. He never owned yeah. a droid, uh, even though he did. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just going to go with sun-baked brain. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> See, I, I, like that, I like both those versions because I, I think, it, to me, that's the kind of like, you know, you know saying, look, yeah, Obi-Wan, Anakin had this attachment for me. R4 was just the one in my ship. And I like R4 being like, what? What are you saying? Like, we were just friends? Come on. We were dating, you know? So I saved your life several times. Justice for R4 there. That, that's a story that needs to be told. Um, well, I want, it's been an hour, and I want to start uh, wrapping up with one more big question. So let me just say, is there anything else more about um, Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars itself um, that we wanted to touch on that we haven't mentioned yet? Well, I think the Reiko Hardeen arc is... Uh, very important to mm. Obi-Wan's mm. character and Anakin's character. Um, for those who don't know, the Reiko Hardeen arc is when Obi-Wan has to fake his death in order to catch um, some very dangerous bounty hunters who are planning on assassinating the Grand Chancellor Palpatine. Should have just let it happen. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, Obi-Wan has to go undercover to try and catch them and prevent all of this from happening. He fakes his death in front of Ahsoka and Anakin. He can't tell Anakin what's going on because the council, again, a mistake on the council's part, believes that if Anakin knew, then he wouldn't be able to keep it a secret. And everyone needed to see Anakin's pure reaction to Obi-Wan's death mm -hmm. in order to believe that this actually happened. Um, and this brings up questions of, you know, how could Obi-Wan do that to Anakin? Obi-Wan, better than anyone except maybe Padme, knows how Anakin would react. And he even says he won't take this well. And yet he still allows them to go through with this. And the council allows themselves to go through with this. And Anakin does not take it well. He goes on a vendetta against these bounty hunters. And it just is yet again proof of, you know, not doing what was in Anakin's best interest, I guess, at this point. <laughs> well, I'm, like, not trusting yeah. Anakin, right? Like, at all. And, like, 
fair enough, maybe. Like, <laughs> ultimately, yeah. turns out not great for Anakin. Um, but yeah, just, oh gosh, the whole, like, Moralo Evolve and, like, the murder cube thing mm. trial that the bounty hunters are put through. I, I'm pretty sure it's, like, a plot by Palpatine. At least, I think it's a plot by Palpatine. Yeah. It's never explicitly stated. Um, but it would be weird if it wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, not... Not trusting Anakin enough. And I feel like, honestly, like, rightly so. I don't think Anakin could keep it a secret. Right. Like, or or he just straight up wouldn't allow it because he wouldn't want his friend Obi-Wan being put in this dangerous situation where he's got to, like, buddy up with Cad Bane, mm-hmm. known evil bounty hunter guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like sort of this weird catch-22. Like, you can't tell Anakin. But then if mm-hmm. you don't tell Anakin, Anakin's going to go off and, like, yeah. go on a rampage about it. But if you tell Anakin, he's going to go on a rampage about it. <laughs> Yeah, so my my partner Mary and I literally watched these episodes two nights ago because we're going through the Clone Wars. And first of all, this was when she was like, okay, now I get why you all love Cad Bane so much. The man loves a hat. I yes. love the man. It's a good great. <laughs> Cad Bane and Hondo are just like, I-, I need a buddy cop show with those two together. <laughs> oh but my God. They would hate that, each other. <laughs> that, you know, uh, we we cannot talk ill of Hondo, uh, uh, Sarah's second husband. Uh, but, you know. First husband. <laughs> I'm not getting involved. I'm not getting involved. Polyamory can all work. Um, but yeah, like one of the things I think became so clear in that is it's not just that he can't keep the secret. It's that everyone else only believes Obi-Wan is dead when they see Anakin's reaction. Mm. And mm. what I kind of love there is everyone in the council is trying to tell themselves we don't have a problem with Anakin being so emotional. But here, this plan only works because we know Anakin is so emotional, uh- which is such a weird like – it's that enabling thing again. It's like you all don't want him doing this, but now your 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 plan depends on him doing this. It's a bit disturbing, and and I like I said, I you know I'm a I'm a Jedi Council apologist, but I do always admit that they were <laughs> they were wrong a lot of the time. I'm an apologist mm. in that I don't think they were bad people. I think that they did a lot of wrong things, and um, and this is one of those instances where it was not right, and it shows just how. You know, they were – were they manipulated? Yes. I, I firmly believe that in a lot of instances they were in Catch-22 uh, positions where they – there was no right answer really or maybe there was a right answer but because they're so entangled in the Senate, they're so entangled in the Republic and the war that they can't bring themselves to make those right choices and that in itself yeah. is a wrong. And uh, in this case though, it's really hard because it's not fair for them to tell Anakin that – he can't have these emotional outbursts and then rely on those emotional outbursts to help them. It's not fair. It's wrong. And it's yeah. one of those instances where I, was, I love Star Wars so much and I love this conversation because there's not a right or wrong answer here about what happened. There's so much nuance of what's going on. And, you know, the Jedi Council weren't 100% wrong 100% of the time. They weren't 100% right 100% of the time. And it's just these little things that we know are going to lead to something bigger and they don't know, but also they maybe should have thought about this a little bit more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a really good way to kind of move to the the last two questions I want to ask. Uh, And they're both kind of like looking at now everything we know about, about Obi-Wan. And I think they're really good. Like, cause clearly in this show, we're going to be seeing him, you know, coming to terms with all this, you know, uh, Sarah, you talked about how sassy he is. He's very like he has so much fun. He rides animals. He's sassy. He flirts. He's a huge flirt. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a book, Dark Disciple, which is a great book about um, 
having to send a Jedi to pair with Asajj Ventress to to go try to assassinate Dooku. And Obi-Wan basically says the way to get on Ventress's good side, he's like, yeah, you got to banter with her. And the other Jedi eventually, wait, you were flirting with her while you were fighting? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's it's what you do. Um, <laughs> she started it. <laughs> yeah. And then clearly by, you know, A New Hope, not only has he aged 40 years in 19, but he's such a different person. And I think this show, I think, is going to really show that. I started with talking about how in the movie he says to Luke, you know, I thought I could train your father. I was wrong. Now that you've seen Clone Wars... How much how much of that response how much of that is actually Obi-Wan taking accountability versus how much of that is him feeling guilt for things that maybe like how how better way to ask this is like how responsible do you think he actually is? And how much is that guilt of his earned or is this him feeling more guilt than he should? You know, I I have a complicated relationship with with the guilt and the responsibility because I am firmly of the belief that it is Anakin's choices. That led Anakin's choices combined with Palpatine's manipulation that mm-hmm. led to his fall, and I don't think that it's it's necessarily fair to place that responsibility on other people who, again, don't have the benefit of hindsight, don't have the benefit of you know our our perspective of what's going to happen. But um, I also think that we have to look at it through a character's perspective, and from Obi Wan's perspective, I think he does carry a lot of guilt. But as has always been the case with Obi Wan. He doesn't know how to process that guilt in a way that would be mm-hmm. most effective. And he sometimes jumps the gun uh, in, in wanting to get rid of that guilt. He wants to absolve himself of this guilt. He wants to make up for it. He wants to make it right. But he doesn't take the time to think about what he did that was wrong that he can change now to make it right. And I see that in A New Hope and in um, Empire Strikes Back, or not Empire Strikes Back, but Return of the Jedi, when he tries to convince Luke that he's going to have to kill Vader. And that is, to me, the prime example of Obi-Wan so badly wanting to absolve himself of guilt or to make make something right that he wronged, that he viewed himself as wronging, Mm. that he doesn't think fully through why what he did was wrong or why things happened the way that they did. I'm getting goosebumps again there because part of what I'm thinking is for Anakin to acknowledge that Luke could turn Anakin back from being Vader means that Obi-Wan could have, but he failed. And I I like that idea that Obi-Wan can't accept that Luke could maybe do it because it would mean that Obi-Wan should have been able to do it. Mm. Which doesn't make sense because it's 30 years of being, 20 years of being Vader. But yeah, I think it's such a good way of seeing it. One of my favorite things about Star Wars and uh, with Anakin's story is that the two people left, or the, the three people left who could change Vader, could bring Vader back, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and Luke. And because the story's already told, we know it can't be Obi-Wan or Ahsoka. It has to be Luke. And so how do you, how do you deal with this? Well, in Revenge of the Sith, when Obi-Wan is fighting Anakin, Obi-Wan goes prepared to kill him. He is prepared to do what he needs to do to save the galaxy or to, to do what he thinks he needs to do to save the galaxy. And if that is kill Anakin, it's kill Anakin. When Ahsoka fights him in Rebels, uh, she doesn't want to kill him. She thinks that maybe she can help him. But when she realizes she can't, she's prepared to do what she needs to do to save the galaxy from him. 
And I view that, that's the way I interpret the line, I won't leave you, not this time. I won't leave you to do what you've done from here on out. Mm. I will do what I need to do. Uh, It's very much the same as Obi-Wan saying, I will do what I must. Um, But Luke handles the situation so differently. He goes and he refuses. If he needs to die without, if, if not killing Vader means that he dies, then he is prepared for that. And I, that is the ultimate difference between it. I think I, li- I like your reasoning. I think I want to add Leia to yes. the list of people yes. who theoretically could have yeah. turned Vader back. And I think it's it because of the Padme connection, right? Like partly like these being his children mm-hmm. are it, reminding him of Padme, who like I have big problems with the way that Anakin and Padme's relationship is shown both in the prequels and in Clone Wars. And in that, I think it's just like told to us a lot of times mm-hmm. that they're in love and like we never actually get to see a lot of it but believing what i've been told right like they're in love ultimately it's like her like to protect her is why he turns to the dark side in the first place right and then seeing like his kids which are like a little bit of padme still left and like i, I think that also plays an important part in why luke could turn mm. anakin back or like turn from vader to anakin and like from that angle, I don't think it would have been possible for Ahsoka or for Obi-Wan mm-hmm. to have actually turned Anakin back to the, the light side. Well, and he does tell Luke, if you didn't tell your sister, you were right about me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I do think that it is because uh, even though Luke ultimately was the one who was there, it, Leia's existence is also reason for that. Whether Leia could do it herself, yeah. I'm not sure because I don't think that she was in a position to be able to forgive him for what he did to her um which is much more than what he did to luke for sure yeah there's a couple things i want to say one is just quickly to once again plug what are now my favorite star wars novels and some of my favorite novels of all time uh the queen's shadow queen's peril books by ek johnson because they i think i i do think that the, the the voice actors have far more chemistry than i think hayden christensen and natalie portman did uh and that's just probably the directing or the script whatever you want to call it um but yeah, I think those books give a much better picture of why Padme fell for this guy mm-hmm. um, and, and, and why she's feeling. Um, also, a other side note, but hearing you again talk about Ahsoka in that, I love Filoni. Filoni can do very few wrongs, but there is one thing that if Filoni stops writing Star Wars before he does this, I will riot, which is to give me the scene where Ahsoka finds out that Anakin came back at the end. Yeah. Like, I... I I, I'm tearing up even just thinking about it. Like when when Book of Boba Fett just showed us Luke and Ahsoka hanging out without showing us that they met, I was so angry. I was like, give me that scene. I need Ahsoka to know that she's meeting Anakin's children. Um, but But even putting that aside, I think for me, I think this is such an interesting question. I think, though, that like I think you're right. Luke takes a different strategy that works. But I think the person who also... The person who helped turn Vader back into Anakin is also Palpatine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of think, I think if Obi-Wan had tried, I mean, he he doesn't try at all in New Hope. He's just like, you're now just evil and machine and I'm going to stop you. But I think part of what happened was also that, you know, when they're fighting in Mustafar, Anakin doesn't know that Padme is dead. I mean, she's not technically dead yet, but he still thinks he is fighting to save mm-hmm. her life and to save those children. And he still thinks that maybe he can that he can take over from Sidious. He doesn't realize how enslaved Sidious he's going to be. And and so I think yeah, all these things are true. 
Um, I do also think, though, you know, and again, I think this is probably just writing. It's not a character choice of Obi-Wan's. But I think it's funny, Danielle, as you were saying, like, Obi-Wan goes there preparing to kill Anakin. Mm -hmm. So why doesn't he? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and I a, think that, like, that's his that's his hubris too. Uh, it's what we see Obi Wan throughout the entire prequels is that he's willing to do what he must, but there's always going to be that part of him that can't follow through in something mm -hmm. that he doesn't morally believe in, because he's killing Anakin because Yoda told him to. Yoda told him there was no hope for him, and he yeah. has lived his entire life following the Council. And so that's what he went prepared to do. But there's that small part of him, the moral side of him, of his own personal code that can't allow him to be the hand that kills Anakin. And mm. that is why yeah. he can't finish it at the end, in my opinion. He leaves, he leaves him cut in half <laughs> on the shore <laughs> of a lava river, you know, burning up. So in his mind, he was as good as yeah. dead. Uh, who would have thought that Palpatine was already on his way? To come in but then wouldn't just a loving him. act be to put, to end his suffering? Just like drive the sure. lightsaber through his heart and so he's not burning to death yeah. on the next one? Yeah, I, but I do like that interpretation that either that he thought he was dead or that he thought he's no longer a threat. Yeah. Which, by the way, you can't cut off someone's limbs and think they're not a threat anymore. Exactly. I'm living proof. Should have learned um, from all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also very true. Also very true. But yeah, like, I mean, I think there there's a difference between someone sitting and like burning to death and knowing that it's like the kind thing to do would be put them out of their misery and then actually doing that mm -hmm. yeah. like my only comparison with this is like i like hitting a deer with your car mm. yeah. right and it's like terrible and the animal is suffering and it's like you probably should just kill it but then there's this like weird like thing to overcome with like killing a living creature yeah, yeah. and that's like a deer not your brother mm -hmm. right yeah. like yeah. and even then like saying like sitting on Tatooine far away from Anakin in like the canteen and being like all right let's go I'm gonna go I'm gonna if I need to I can take down Anakin it's gonna happen and then facing him and like battling him and actually going through with it I think are two two different things mm -hmm. right I mean yeah what I wonder go ahead what I wonder is why did did it ever occur to Obi-Wan to save Anakin at that mm. point? Once you have him, you know, defeated, why not take his body mm. and put it in a back to tank and try to reason with him? Right. That's true. Well, I mean, just a few moments ago, he tried. Like when he says, Anakin, I have the high ground. I think he's trying to say, Anakin, surrender. You know, this fight is over. I've won. Yeah. Like. I think he was also... And this may be giving Obi-Wan giving Obi-Wan a bit too much credit. Um, but I do think that he was also very concerned about Padme at that moment. Um, and I think his opinion mm -hmm. on Anakin really changed when he saw him force choke her. Uh, like, this mm -hmm. is Padme. This is the only person left in Anakin's life that Anakin would never do this to. Like, he would protect her. I mean, this is the whole reason that we're here is that is because of her. And if he is willing to do that to this person, then he's truly gone. Yeah. And mm -hmm. maybe then is just when he was just like, I can't, I can't justify this. I can't bring him back from this. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Right. Like he can't save Anakin because in his mind, Anakin's yeah. dead, which is what he told mm -hmm. Luke. Right. Yeah. 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 And it ties, and it ties back to what Danielle said earlier about Luke and how he spared Vader, which brought Anakin back out. Right. And, Obi-Wan, by leaving Anakin there to die, was creating Vader. Yeah. 
Like yeah. I know he's knighted earlier by Sidious, but mm. I think that is the moment in his heart where he finally like completes the turn is when this man who called mm. him his brother and said he right. loves him leaves him there. Uh, Goose- and then Sidious <laughs> is the one who rescues him. Goosebumps <laughs> thinking about how Obi-Wan leaves Anakin there and then the last one of the last things Anakin hears is Luke saying, I won't leave you here or like I'm not gonna leave you here to die. Mm-hmm. And he oh, takes him with yeah. him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start crying thinking about that. <laughs> oh, no, it's so true. Well, even just like like this whole idea, like in in Obi Wan's mind, Anakin is dead, mm-hmm. and he tells this to Luke, and Luke does exciting things. And then, um, yeah, like when when Vader confronts him, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you never Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. Like, no, I'm your father, right? Which is like, oh, so my father's not dead. Yeah, right. Whereas, like, Obi-Wan, I think, in his mind, well, he's dead at this point, but, like, ghost Obi-Wan's mind is that, like, he's, Anakin is still dead, Anakin is still gone, it's just Vader now, and Vader must be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true. And, again, Filoni, if you're listening, um, (laughs) I can can make myself believe that Filoni's a listener, um, because certainly you can put the scene in if you haven't yet, you got 11 days. (laughs) I really want to see the scene where Obi-Wan realizes that Anakin lived. And that, or, or, mm. or how he puts that that Vader is out there, and that that Anakin is, is who became Vader. Oh. Because I think you're right. We have so many questions about what did what did Obi Wan think was going to happen to this charred Hulk of his former brother, his brother, when he walked away. I think a lot of that's going to be answered by seeing, you know, what happens when he hears mm-hmm. that the Emperor now has Darth Vader, and mm-hmm. he has to start wondering, and then maybe he puts it all together. I think we will. See well, that. like clearly, sorry. <laughs> No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say. I think we're going to say the exact yeah. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we will see that um, based on one of the trailers. Um, okay. Yeah. And if you've not read yeah. the Kenobi book, it's legends now. It's not canon, but I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite it's Star so Wars good. books. So and good. it doesn't deal with Obi-Wan finding out that Anakin survived, but uh, it does kind of put into perspective like what he thinks happened on Mustafar. And uh, yeah. he does think that he was dead. And also, you were talking before about how Obi-Wan has no one to talk to. One of the things I love in that book so much is that it, he basically is talking to Qui-Gon's memory. And like he's talking a lot. And and in that book, we get such a good picture of his internal monologue Mm -hmm. of his guilt and his shame and some of his concern of how do I not make the same mistakes with Luke. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. One other thing I will say also about that book that gives me, I don't think we have any reason to hope for this. And especially given some of the previews of the scene, it may not be. But one of the things that that book does so well is a big part of that book is about basically recognizing that the humans on Tatooine are colonialists mm. and 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 telling the story of the of the the Tuscans as a colonized indigenous people. Yeah. And I remember when I watched Book of Boba Fett and I was frustrated, I think a lot of us were, that we got some of the Tuscans, but really they were just kind of fridged for for Boba Fett's story that I was kind of like, it's okay. The, the Kenobi show, I'm sure, is going to go more into it. Um, given some of the previews, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, so I'm not going to, like, hold my hopes out. But given how much that book showed about Kenobi being one of the few people who can really connect with the Tuscans and understand and see the, like, colonialist, indigenous uh, dynamic here and how awful that is, I would really love it if we get a little bit of it in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be nice. I do... Um... God, what we got in the Book of Boba Fett, though, was so good about the Tuscans. That episode two. Episode yeah, two is, in my opinion, one of the best uh, episodes in television, period, for me. 
mm-hmm. um, just because of how much we got about the Tuscans. And it is unfortunate that it ended the way it did. I do, I do want to say that in those instances, I do like to listen to uh, indigenous reviews of those mm-hmm. episodes because there were a lot, and obviously, you know, it's not a generalization. Everyone feels differently. Um, but there were a lot of people who actually liked what they showed. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. My feelings about it are still complicated. But yeah. you're right. I want more from before. Mm-hmm. And hope maybe we'll get at least a glimpse of them. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you that. The, the fridging term I'm taking is from a, a Maori author yeah. who was talking oh, yeah. about it and that they use that. I think, like you said, like in any community, there's, there's a lot of back and forth. But certainly I think I, I think that was done very well. I just would have wished for something different. 100%. Sure. We, we've come a long way from I killed them all like animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, all right. Well, I got to say it. So maybe there's a good way of closing for each of you. What is kind of like your hope and maybe what fear about this show? Ooh. Oh, I okay. I guess my hope is just that we get to see Obi Wan as this broken, because yeah. I want I want that journey. I want I want that journey from devastated Obi Wan at the end of Revenge of the Sith to much more you know centered, uh, prepared to move forward Obi-Wan of A New Hope. And I don't think we get that without dealing with some really hard stuff first. And I think Deborah Chow has also hinted at that that's what we're going to see, at least at the beginning, uh, is this kind of broken mm-hmm. man who has to rebuild himself, has to question his, uh, his ideologies and his view of the galaxy after everything that's happened. And I just, I want that. I don't know that I, I, want, I will bring myself to hope for much more. There are things I would like to see, uh, such as Clone Wars flashbacks, but I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, resting my entire hope on that. <laughs> it would be nice to see Rex. Yeah. I think, you know, oh, that's fair. <laughs> I can't. He's, he's always on my bingo cards, but yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, I hope we get to see, we get more information about the origin of the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. I know there have been a few in the the previews so i don't think this is like an outlandish hope um if not now then like in a different tv show i mm-hmm. think that's fine um yeah I, like my, my hopes i think are pretty minimal my fear is that they're gonna like somehow undo the confrontation that maul and obi-wan had in rebels or like mm-hmm. retcon it or or leave it because i think like the confrontation between Maul and Obi-Wan in Rebels is, like, perfect, and I want them to leave it alone. So I fear yeah. that they touch it, I guess, is my, yeah. my big fear. Yeah, we didn't even talk at all about how uh, Maul and Kenobi have such an important relationship. Mm. Um, mm. Down to, like, there are a couple moments where, like, Maul, you just want to kiss him. We get <laughs> it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I hear, I hear on that. Yeah, and, like, I get, well, like it's, it's nice that we're, like, at the point in Rebels right now where we're kind of like building up to this confrontation so mm-hmm. you hear more of us talking about that in rebels episodes but yeah well, to alleviate your fears deborah chow has said that maul has never been involved in the show yeah so hopefully th- hopefully we don't because i agree i don't want that touch i think it's for the best ricky oh <laughs> um well to go back to my original point Ewan McGregor riding a do-back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want. Mm-hmm. yeah, 
That's fair. Or some other animal on Tatooine. I mean, there are other things. Uh, let's go full on crate crate dragon. Yeah, might as well. Oh, that would be a bit much. <laughs> he Turning knows it into doom. A baby crate dragon. <laughs> he knows how to make their sound, so he's got to learn that somehow. What I am afraid of, uh, similarly, is that they are going to just ignore the Clone Wars mm. because it's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And, and not acknowledge stuff like his relationship with Satine. Mm. And, and I don't know that they, they should necessarily have a flashback because then you need to cast someone, you know, live action in that role. And it might be hard to do that. But have something where it shows that uh, Obi-Wan is remembering mm-hmm. her. Like someone yeah. mentions Mandalore and he just like has a faraway look in his eyes. Even that would be something for yeah. fans. Cast Nicole Kidman. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I feel oh. I feel that way about Ahsoka a lot, um, especially when it comes to her relationship with Obi Wan, because she gets mm. left out a lot when it comes to prequel mm. discourse because she was just in the Clone Wars. But mm. her relationship mm-hmm. with Obi Wan is so important to both of them, and it yeah. would be a shame, in my opinion. I won't be mad, but I think it would be a missed opportunity if they didn't involve Ahsoka somehow, if not just like you said, in him thinking mm-hmm. about her or when he's, if he's meditating and talking to Qui-Gon, if he doesn't mention her, then I think it would yeah. be a big missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think it's true. And I, I will say I have a lot of hope there, especially because I think one of the things that I, I think, you know, and they're both owned by Disney. I think the MCU can really learn a lot from what Star Wars has done in how, I think Mandalorian and um, Boba Fett especially were so good at honor. There's so much from the Clone Wars, Mm -hmm. characters, storylines that are brought into the Mandalorian in ways that I feel like don't alienate people who haven't seen the shows, but also really on, you know, both, you know, um, you know, the the, the watch we talked about, um, Starbucks character, uh, Bo, Bo Bo-Katan, Bo-Katan. You know, her being a real character, the Vizsla family being characters. So I have a lot of hope there. Cad Bane. Yeah. Yeah. Cad Bane. Yeah. Although, please tell me he's not really dead. Um, I don't think he is. Like, his thing is, like, pumping at the end. We can talk about about Boba Fett later. There you go. There you go. Conversation. We could have a a Cad Bane in Kenobi. We could. Like, they they certainly had confrontations in the Clone Wars. There's theories. Yeah, we were just talking about the um, Hardeen thing. Yeah, yeah. That gives me a little hope for a live-action Hondo, but that's such a double-edged sword. You can't. Don't tease me. You have to get the perfect actor to do it. Yeah. Um, So there was... Oh, my gosh. There is a live-action Hondo. There was a live-action Hondo at the openings of both Galaxy's (laughs) Edge and Disney. In Florida and um, California here, they had, like, a live-action Hondo actor, and the makeup looked super-duper good. Mm, Um, So, like, they... They can do it, I believe, but okay. I can't. I can't even think about it. Oh my goodness! Okay. Well, so and you, uh, Danielle, you kind of mentioned what is my hope. Um, I definitely my my real hope is that we get a lot of Obi Wan's internal monologue that we get to learn, and maybe it's he's talking to someone else that we get to better understand his thinking and see him his journey from that and see how he thinks that with Luke it's going to be different. My real hope, my fingers crossed, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love it, is if we get that not with him meditating with Qui-Gon, but that Liam Neeson mm-hmm. is the secret casting, and, yeah. and that's where we, Obi-Wan starts to learn about this idea of Force ghosts. Because um, yes. in the Clone Wars, one thing we learn is that it's in Clone Wars that, oh, that Qui-Gon first learns to be a, be a Force ghost, and he teaches 
Yoda. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the the thing at the end of Return of the Sith that where Yoda says, like, Qui-Gon is, it can still talk to you. Mm-hmm. So I'd love it if Liam Neeson comes back. And Liam Neeson was the voice of Qui-Gon, so we know he's mm-hmm. stuck around. My fear is, and this is nothing to do with Hayden Christensen, and here I apologize, I'm going to be a grumpy old, you know, I love the original trilogy thing. To me, one of the things that makes the scene in the confrontation between uh, Obi-Wan and uh, Vader so powerful on the Death Star is I've always interpreted it is that's the first time they're seeing each other since Mustafar. Mm. And, you know, that's why he says you're more machine than man now, like all these things. And so when I first heard it, I was like, you know, I remember Kathleen Kennedy saying, this is the fight, the rematch everyone's wanted. And I was like, no, I don't (laughs) want that. We have the rematch. It's in A New Hope. I have, again, I'm willing to believe that there's, there's a way to make it make sense. Again, everything from a different point of view. I think they can do it. I, my fear is that they screwed up. I think that's just the one thing I'm afraid of is that I'm left feeling like this kind of invalidates that scene on the Death Star. I hmm. think well, for me is one, one thing I, I try to remember when I'm thinking about my fears for this is that this show is being made by people who love Star Wars as much really as we do. Uh, and yeah. like the, it's literally their it's literally their lives. <laughs> and um, and Deborah Chow. J.J. Abrams is no way involved. Yeah, I, I, Sorry, I had to get that in. <laughs> I, I trust Deborah Chow and I trust the direction yeah. that she will take it. Uh, because she is such a huge Star Wars fan. And Ewan McGregor was talking about how she knew everything backwards and forwards and was so prepared for everything. And he uh, would love to work with her again in this capacity. And I think that I, I am putting my faith in what she said in an interview a few weeks ago, which was that they have, they have done – what they've done is in good faith to what mm-hmm. has already been done. And, um, but if we want to talk about possibilities of how this could happen, uh, force vision, because we know Vader has yep. these visions of what is going to happen, or these largely happen in the comics, where he battles people from his past. And I wonder if mm. maybe that could be a potential instance where they have the fight. That mm. he's not actually meeting the real Darth yeah. Vader. It's, it's more, yeah. yeah. Maybe he goes into the cave kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. That could really happen. Yeah. Well, and even like, okay. Perhaps this is legends, but I I thought it was like canonically established that like Vader can't go to Tatooine because there's literally too much sand and it would like get all up in his breathing apparatus, which is partly why he doesn't go back and maybe why he hates sand so much. Um, No, no, don't give me reason to think about the worst line of dialogue in the entire series. No, you can't not think of it. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, like, because anyway, but yeah, like I don't like there's obviously a reason Vader doesn't go to Tatooine because like, why wouldn't you look on Tatooine? Where everything kind of yeah anyway um but but yeah so I don't I don't think we're gonna see Vader on Tatooine because then we'd have to have like a confrontation with Luke we'd have to have a confrontation with like Aunt Burrell and Uncle Owen and it's just like a weird yeah so I think like the Force Vision thing I'm like down to clown with that but yeah if if Vader shows up on Tatooine I'm yeah. I will be upset but I don't think that's gonna happen. I mean, there's certainly some things from the trailers that make me think Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine at some point. Oh, yeah, he Mm. he definitely does. He goes to the planet Dio, I think is what it's called, um, and is there for... But the question is, is, like, when does he go? Does he go after he drops Luke off and then he comes back? Or, like, you know, what? So there's so much. Like, those trailers really don't answer any questions, (laughs) which I'm kind (laughs) kind of glad by. I want to be surprised. 
It's true. Like, and I have to do a public shout out here. Um, Riki and Sarah, you two both told me about how great the movie Everything Everywhere All yeah. at Once was. But then I asked That's you so what good. it was about and you utterly refused to answer it. No, which I, was, I don't think we could answer it. Well, no, <laughs> I don't know if we refused yeah. to. That's the, that, that may be it too. But I will say I went into that movie knowing absolutely nothing about the movie. I'm not going to say anything to spoil about it. But I've never more appreciated the fact that I could walk into a movie knowing absolutely nothing about it. So, yeah, I I, I think the fact that we know we have so many mysteries about Kenobi, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, as someone who's also very dedicated to the MCU fandom, I'm constantly hearing things of people being like, oh, but the trailer promised us this and we thought this and like <laughs> yeah. all the Mephisto of that was supposed to be in WandaVision. <laughs> and just, I'm so glad I don't have any of that. So, mm-hmm. folks, I'm so glad we could have this conversation. There's so much more we could say, but I do want us to start wrapping up. And I want to give uh, the fans at home a chance to kind of tune into more of the stuff we're doing. Uh, and Danielle, I'll start with you because I want to just start by kind of singing your praises a bit. Um, I am so impressed by what you do on TikTok, um, the way you talk about your love of this stuff. And and, 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 and you cover it in such a wide range of getting into like showing me things about the different clones that I had never really thought about to the hardcore thirst for Rex and Fives and a couple of others and, and just the fan <laughs> theories and, and also defending your place as a fan and why that whole range of fandom stuff is so important. And um, your TikTok is so powerful. And I also really love the way that in your TikToks, you are always talking about wanting to listen to other voices. I think I really appreciate I, I think I get a little bit defensive earlier, which I apologize for, because I, I definitely think you made such a good point about, you know, listening to indigenous voices when we talk about how are the Tuscans treated. And I think depending on whether or not they come up, that's going to be something, again, to be uh, paid attention to. So, um, and, 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 you know, I've talked somewhat uh, today and, and in other times about being the crusty old, you know, original person who had a lot of problems with the prequels. I had my opinions on the prequels changed quite dramatically, first by this show, because I think this show makes the third movie so much better. But also, I think because, especially on TikTok, I've gotten to hear so many voices of people without any shame, without just talking pure love about why they loved those movies so much. And so to me, it makes your TikTok so great and something I really want to celebrate. So for people who are like me and want to learn more about it, uh, tell us more about your TikTok and, and where they can find it. Yeah, so my username on TikTok is written in the Star Wars, and I there is a lot of clone thirsting going on on that TikTok, <laughs> but, but I do really like to talk about, like get into deep dives, mainly about the Clone Wars characters and Rebels. I love Rebels. I have a whole series going on about why Rebels is the best. Um, but yeah, I just, I love taking these characters and really kind of diving into them. One of my favorite things about Star Wars is that it's so expansive. And there's so many questions. They will never get to a point in Star Wars where every question is answered. And I love that because the, the, the geek nerd in me wants an answer to everything. But I am also okay with being able to come up with those answers myself and being able to piece things together. And so that's a lot of what I do in some of my conversational videos on TikTok is putting out my ideas of what mm-hmm. I think. And also, like you said, um, just kind of encouraging people to – to be a little bit more open about their opinions on things and, and see that the be- one of the greatest things about Star Wars and what should be the greatest thing about the fandom but often isn't is that everyone loves something different for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And not everything in Star Wars has to be for everyone. Um, but just because you don't like something doesn't mean that someone else doesn't obsess over it the way that you obsess over something else. And I love that about mm-hmm. it because there are people who love characters that – I like, but I've never given a second thought to. 
Uh, but yeah, that's what I tried to do on my TikTok. And thank you for, for saying that because I do try to make it quite an inclusive place for everyone. Yeah, you really do. And there's a lot of other great creators out there as well. And it just it I think people often will say that the Star Wars has the most toxic fandom. And I think that there's an awful lot of toxicity in the Star Wars fandom. I think if that's really what you believe, ask a DC fan about Zack Snyder <laughs> and then tell me how non-toxic yeah. that fandom is. Um, but I think that there is also so much good. In, and I one thing that happened for a long time is a lot of Star Wars fans, I think especially prequel fans, didn't want to talk much because they got so used to everyone's going to yell at you if you like Ray, Everyone's going to yell at you if you like Ahsoka. And so I just think the voices that are out there not caring about it, it just it, it gives me hope, you know, and it, it, it it's part of why I create the create these podcasts, too. Uh, Riki and Sarah, you all are doing great stuff as well. Um, Riki, very much against my will, I'm being forced to learn about the game Pokemon Go from your Twitter <laughs> account. Uh, tell us a little more about like what, what people can find there. Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> I just post, I, I tweet. Uh-huh. You can play, you, well, you battle a lot in Pokemon Go, so they yeah. can find like fun battle strategies. Um, and you talking about that. They should be on the lookout for your stream which is going to be starting soon oh, if i can mm. if we can get over our computer troubles my goodness this can't be even a get a time. camera to work <laughs> this hmm? would be a good time to tell us what your twitter account is oh hey it's wikipedia go <laughs> is there is. an underscore in there somewhere no no nope okay just yeah. wikipedia go like wikipedia but with an r <laughs> oh mine yeah no and on uh links to all this will be in the show notes uh, and Sarah, I was earlier enjoying some hot chocolate out of a very well-made mug and a very pretty mug. Uh, are there any more Sarah creations that people can find? Yeah. If you follow me on Instagram, um, it's Sarah Hayashi Art, which is all one word, um, you'll see a lot of my uh, clay creations. Um, thinking of doing some Star Wars-inspired stuff um, this summer now that I've <laughs> got a bit of a break from... Grad school. I just I just finished a gallery show, which was mm-hmm. awesome but stressful. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot more accessible pieces, um, and yeah, that's just all on Instagram. Um, okay. So keep an eye out there. C- can I commission a Hondo a Hondo statuette? <laughs> you, yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't tell Disney, but sure. Well, yeah, it's also true. A a statuette of a pirate who might live in a space universe. <laughs> yeah, like a Weequay pirate. Yeah, no, no worries. Dave Filoni, stop listening right now. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, all right, well, thank you both so much. Thank you all so much. And of course, if you want to know more about the other podcasts I'm doing, if you go to theethicalpanda.com, you'll find all of our content, the superhero ethics content I'm doing. Uh, there's ep- ethics uh, eh, episodes of what is currently my favorite Star Trek show, The Orville. Uh, we're doing coverage of every episode about that. <laughs> Season three of that is coming quite soon. You want to talk about like being faithful to the original. I think I think the love that Dave Filoni has for Star Wars, Seth MacFarlane has for Star Trek. And it, it once you were five episodes in and the studio made him stop doing sophomoric jokes from Family Guy, it just becomes a great Star Trek show. Um, but So that's on there. But most importantly... If you go to theethicalpanda.com, you'll find our contact information because, uh, as Danielle said, as we've all said, like, the best part of this is making it a conversation. And I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I'll share the thoughts with, with the other guests as well as, like, on, you know, on our next episode. Write in. We love fan, back, fan feedback. We actually got 20 minutes out of a conversation uh, with someone when you're writing in. Um, 
you still don't understand why Ezra had to do it yet. You know what? Anakin would have understood <laughs> why Ezra had to mind control that pilot of the walker. So, yeah, yeah. So it's, Darth it, Vader 100% would have understood that, what Matthew. Matthew. It was point made. It was war. You had to do it. Okay. And maybe Ezra's a little controlled by the hologram, but, that, but shh, we're not going to talk about it. Anyway, go to theethicalpanda.com. You'll find Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, on my TikTok, it's a lot about this stuff, but it's also about me exploring makeup and talking about recent Supreme Court wordings uh, that, of course, Eesh. I'm never going to mention my political feelings on here, but I have strong opinions. And yes, they are what you think they are. Um, so, yeah, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, email. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear how you're feeling about the Kenobi show. I think we're all just so excited. It's such a great time to be a Star Wars fan. So I'm half myself. Thank you all. Sorry. I'm half myself, all my guests. Thank you all for being great fans. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day. Kenobi! Kenobi.